Okay, we're live. Do, 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 do. It's the Dang Kingdom podcast. And it's acapella because the early church didn't use musical instruments. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for that virtuoso. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, welcome to the newly, newly uh, christened Dank Kingdom pod. Um, it's uh, I'm Matthew Milioni in the Boston area. That's Salome Milioni bringing me my favorite bag. My daughter bought this for me. Looks kind of like Dave. It has a lot of beard hair yeah, on but... it because beards are hair, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Can we not talk about that? <laughs> well, let's go through and introduce ourselves first since we're starting off fresh with a fresh new name. All right. What order are we going here? Well, on my computer, you're next. So, okay. My name is Titus and I live in near Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm Anthony and uh, I live in uh, Northeast Oklahoma. I'm David. I go by Blanky Dave because I always have a Blanky and I'm from Northeastern Ohio. So we wanted to, um, along with uh, the, the adding ourselves to the Dank Kingdom franchise, because we're calling it Dank Kingdom Pod, we wanted to talk about that issue. I don't know about you guys, but I've gotten several uh, um, people that are confused about why we're appropriating a word like dank, which if you look it up in Urban Dictionary has uh, drug subculture overtones to it. Uh, why we're appropriating a term like that for something that goes along with Christian groups. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll start it off and maybe you guys can add some thoughts. When we started the Dank Kingdom Christian memes, which I think uh, Curtis Culpepper, shout out to him, actually was the originator of, um, the idea was to kind of, let me back up a little bit. When I first came to Boston, it was in the attempt to um, reverse the retreat of kingdom theology back into the marketplace, back into the city, back into the center of, of whatever spotlight or influence we could gain. And, and for a lot of years, as I've watched people who hold a lot of my ideas in common, there's been, a, there's been in general retreat geographically philosophically and and in kind of from every perspective uh bug out mentality like let's get away from people let's get away out into out into obscure places and and live our our christianity safe and free and that's bothered me for a really long time so that's a lot of the impetus for our moving into boston and uh, over the years that same kind of thing has been happening with media and the internet, especially in the more conservative end of the spectrum. And, and I've been advocating that we need to utilize media and social media and all kinds of media. And so if you notice, you know, we're not exactly cutting edge or high production value at follows away, but we try to have an online presence because I don't want people to come up with, John Piper, John MacArthur, when they Google questions about predestination and free will, I want a seat at that table. 
And if we don't put ourselves in the environment, we don't get a seat at that table. And so, um, so one of the, that, that all brought me up to a certain place. And then in my experiences in social media, and especially watching the, the meme phenomenon happening for the last several years, it, 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 I, I wanted to see what would happen if you try to encapsulate pithy statements with pithy graphics communicating kingdom truths. Like if we could leverage that format um, and, and so I think a part of the, part of the point behind that is to be a little bit, um, I, ha I had written some comments at one point about being subculture. I came from a subculture and I actually think that the church properly belongs in the domain of subculture and, and that subculture, subculture has a kind of edge in its distinctiveness and edginess and that was all kind of communicated fairly well in the dank kingdom Christian memes in the title in that there's something a little bit, I don't know how, for how long, but at least still in the circles that we all run in something a little bit edgy about appropriating a term like dank uh, into our title. So if you're willing to step over that and see what's on the other side, it's kind of like a pre-filter. And then kingdom is kind of a pre-filter on the other side. Like, are you willing to accept these kingdom ideas? Anthony, do you have some thoughts about all that as well? You wrote our kind of opening for, for DKCM. Yeah, first of all, um, where are we streaming to? I think we're on my homepage. Okay. My wall. Why why I'm not seeing it. It says it's live, so I'll just trust that oh, it is. Oh, I see it now. Um, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if, if I have a lot to add to that. You did a pretty good summary. I think, I think the, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of us come, Matthew comes, comes from a subculture. The other three of us are all from an Anabaptist background, which is very much of a subculture, but it's, developed a reputation for hanging behind dragging along behind the mainstream culture rather than leading um and that's a very very different kind of subculture um than christianity was in the beginning and and so the the, the function of a subculture is really important when we talk about subcultures um what what is this culture doing is it provoking the world with with uh are, are we provoking the world are we provoking the church to to kind of interrupt the the thought patterns everybody's already in and ask questions that they wouldn't have asked otherwise and and i think that's that's what we hope you know that's that's what kind of developed out of the dank kingdom christian memes phenomenon um and and that's and it, it, like you said, it has been a really interesting pre-filter um, because there's a certain type of person who shows up when you just use a name like that. And, and uh, those tend to be people who are willing to embrace that kind of questions, those kinds of conversations that are what, the kinds of questions and conversations that that resulted in Christianity turning the world upside down to begin with. Um, if, if provocativeness and, and um, you know, confrontation 
is not to your taste, I hate to say it, but you probably, I mean, if, if it's not at least tolerable to you, you probably don't, you're in the wrong religion as a Christian, because that's what, that's what it's all about. Um, when you're living in an occupied world that has all of its values run counter to the, to, to those we stand for, these are not old values. These are values the world still hasn't caught up to. And so mm -hmm. if, if you want to be a traditionalist, if you want to be old fashioned, then and and just be left alone to do what you've always done then um then then we think you're not going to look very much like um historic christianity yeah and just just to give a little testimony that to uh emphasize what you're saying there matthew about a, a subculture so i would say that two years ago my theology was was pretty different than it is now and i've been influenced enormously by some of these facebook groups so it started with you know the the kingdom christian fellowship and support group where i i thought there were some interesting conversations going on there i had first been exposed to the term kingdom christianity from kingdom fellowship weekend uh, when i was around 18 or 19 and that's sort of what i associated with it and then I've, i found this facebook book group and i was like man this is interesting some of these people are, are on facebook and but but when the meme page took off that's when it really really created a subculture and and really made me feel like i even though i disagree with with some of the theology i feel like i belong to a tribe where you know you you kind of it's kind of like the the family that you're yeah. born into well it's not really like the family you're born into but in some ways it is in that um, you know, you, you don't choose who you, who you grow up with in, in your family. Um, you just have to love them and it's, it's who you belong to. And in the same way, like, even if you don't, even if I don't agree with everything in this tribe, I feel like I belong to this tribe. It's my tribe to, to challenge in, in areas that I disagree with. And, you know, we band together in, in areas that we agree with, but it, it really, it's, it's this strange thing that, you know, the internet created or that we created using the internet that has definitely impacted my life. And I I've met, you know, you, Matthew in real life, the other, or, you know, outside of the internet, the other two guys on here, I haven't met, but um, it, it, it has established some really important relationships for me as well. Well, there's a lot of neat things about the format. And I think <clears throat> that's where, that's where Christians are way behind the curve. At least our, our, our influence, our domain of Christianity is way behind the curve because we haven't been playing with these tools. We haven't been exercising them. And, and there's a lot of neat potential in, in a format like memes that, that, you know, all of us who love memes now are, are, are used to picking up, you perceive these things that are like these very nuanced parts, like these multi-layered inside jokes and outside jokes all make a great meme like when all the pieces of the meme the words and the images all conspire to create the same message and what's really fascinating is that that's a great way to argue like because it's so it's so to the point and sharp but not mean and i'm not saying that it couldn't be mean but like we're all used to the the degra degradation that happened in something like 
the Kingdom Christian Support Group, where it turns into just writing essays against each other. And it's this like contrarian Facebook comment post-war. And it's just exasperating to read 7,843 words that basically <clears throat> sum up just a stick my nose up and tell you you're dumb and don't read the Bible and don't care about God. It's not all at that level, but th there's enough of it there that you bypass all that. Like if you don't have enough wit to put it in a meme and to say it in a way that everybody can laugh about and get your point, then you don't get a seat. And that mm -hmm. does something to create discourse that we're not used to doing well. That's something that I've... Um... Two, two things that I want to note with that. Yeah, I, I completely echo what Titus said with the um, just the, the community that it's created and people that I would have, um, that, you know, strongly disagree with on some, some things, you know, and there's, you know, there's pushback, you know, December's coming, Matthew, we're going to go again, right? <laughs> ho, 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 you know. Get out but, the bale bushes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, and the thing is, I know you feel strongly about that, but I've never felt talked down to you by you by you. I've never felt insulted by you. I've never felt like like you think you're more spiritual than me or. Right. You know, obviously you think you're right and I'm wrong and that's fine. Yeah. But um, and, and I've actually it's like it's disarming. Mm -hmm. You you're all of a sudden you're willing to say, hey, you know, here's somebody who's not being, um, you know, my word tedious. They're not being a, they're not a tedious person to be around. They're enjoyable to be around. And yet we, and we can find a place to grow and learn um, without it becoming this, um, this adversarial type of thing. And, and I think the, I think the dank to me that, that, um, that the, the word um, kind of has that, that, that sense of the offbeat humor, at least that's mm -hmm. how, that's a lot of times what I think with it. And I think that that whole the, the dank concept and the humor concept is an awesome screening tool because you come into the dank meme group, you can't take yourself too serious. Right. Um, you know, and that's why we have, you know, he that must not be named and others that we don't want to attract the evil eye or anything that were extremely upset that people are making these type of jokes and things. Well, those people simply like tedious people just don't last. They're not attracted to it. They're offended by it and all of those things. And so I think it's a, I think there's a number of really, really cool self-selecting features to create the kind of community that's passionate about these offbeat countercultural ideas, but yet are able to do it in what I think is a, um, a charming or, or, or a disarming way. And I was having a conversation with somebody recently about the, the concept of memes, that memes are, are kind of like a, um, like a Zen koan. They're, they're intended to be rolled around in your mind and, and, and thought about. And, and, you know, you kind of think that they actually force you to examine what you believe in light of what the meme is saying. Mm -hmm. And memes aren't supposed to be paragraphs. You know, that's a big right. thing in the, in the dank meme group. Don't be paragraphy. But, but, and by their very nature, they tend to oversimplify an issue to a really basic, crucial point 
And so even if you don't agree with it, you're forced to sit here and articulate what is the oversimplification that I'm reacting to. And you're actually forced to think about what you're thinking about instead of just blah, 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 blah. I'm better than you and you're probably going to bad place um, you know, after this. So that's, um, that's something I think is really neat about the group. And it's, it's just been an incredible community to be part of. I think there's a huge potential, not just among us, but in the broader world to use that format. Because I know that I find like, so if Titus wants to argue with me that hair beards are hair, I'll go round and round and round and round the mulberry bush with him on that. And I can do that ad infinitum. But if you, but if Titus posts a good meme about it, it's coming where it really like it really cuts, cuts both ways. Then I'm like, then I have to go, Ooh, he got me on that one. And then I have to really wrestle with the point instead of the semantics or the other stuff. And I, you know, I would be, I would be disappointed if all we did was memes, but I would be hugely disappointed if memes weren't a part of our tool bag of how we were trying to communicate truths. Cause I think they have potential among our own people in broader Christendom and in the world at large to sneak under the radar and put a point right in somebody's crawl that they have to think about. And they go, Ooh, yeah, that is true. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the power of a meme. And that's why they get re that's why they get replicated. That's the real point of a meme is that it gets replicated and shared and redone and redone. I'm trying to and, make and- a meme right now about the beard <laughs> here. So if I'm distracted, sure. that's why. And the- wow. memes are visual memes are visual parables. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a parable is not meant to be like the stories of Jesus. They're not meant to be theological discourses. Right. They're meant to make a point about a specific issue or a specific topic you know the the one kind of the one main point and pithy seven times 70 like a punchline yeah some of of them some of his entire parables are no longer than a meme right um to read they're very very short just a single point and that's all there is and you could and if if you were going to yeah attack you could attack them for straw manning or for oversimplifying the issue but that would miss the entire point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with memes, the, the 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 ironic cherry on top is that the that the word itself was invented by an atheist, um, <laughs> and and so we're subverting we're subverting him in his world as well when we use them for the kingdom. Yeah. Um... It, okay, so there's so we've talked about dank, we've talked about meme, and we've let let's let's do a little bit of a roundtable on on the word kingdom as well, because that's the other that's the other major component of some of the things that we're doing on this plat these platforms. And <clears throat> we were just I was rehearsing with the guys before we went live here some of my own thoughts about the word kingdom. You know that word in in my in, in my world has been at, at play for. I don't know, eight or 10 years. And it really probably the origins, at least in my in my exposure in my world were probably right around or before the time that David published the kingdom that turned the world upside down. That's really when in charity circles, kind of the fringe people like me started using this kingdom Christian moniker. And, and for me, so 
when I go all the way back to my origin in Christ, who, who where I first came into the kingdom of God, I, I, I had an experience with, with Jesus, the person and the ministry of Christ that I, I recognize much later, not everybody has this kind of, um, they don't see him this way. And it was the only, it was the main way that I saw Jesus when I first encountered with him was as this super revolutionary guy. And I, I wasn't disposed to that from my upbringing because I grew up in, in Western Christianity where I read the stories of Jesus since I was a child. And it was all very neutered in my mind, who Jesus was and what he was saying, the scandal, the, all the, all the, all the really like juicy bits of who Jesus was and what he was doing had kind of lost it in until I left the church lived like a raging heathen and came back to find out who Christ was, when I met him then on his terms, I recognized that he was a radical and that he, he had things to say that no one else could, would, or should say. And that as such, he was a revolutionary leader. And it was that he, I, I don't mean to be blasphemous, but to me, he was like Che Guevara. He was the rebel leader. And he was overthrowing the world and not in the not in the tame geopolitical sense, like a rival to Caesar, like like the Persians were or like the 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 Gauls were, but like the whole world order, like the next tier of revolution. And and that's my initial like that's where I met him. And so he always kind of like. Even even before I, I formed a theology around that, my attachment to him was as that kind of guy. And, and so later now, as I start to work through my frameworks and my theology and my doctrine and my practice, I come to a place where, where this term kingdom becomes super useful in that it's a description of people who recognize Jesus as a real and present king, not an ethereal future eschaton king, but a real present political leader. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the reason that some of us initially really embraced the term kingdom Christianity. And in that mm -hmm. sense, kingdom was supposed to be an adjective for Christianity. Like it was the kind of Christianity that recognized those facts, that Jesus was this uber political now and present king with domestic policies with international diplomacy with economic policies with all these like nation state ideas and principles and practices and laws and mm -hmm. that if i recognized those things i would apply the term kingdom christian and and what's happened in the last several years um, is that I think there's been that that term is starting to get conscripted. It's starting to describe a group of people instead of a group of ideas. And that makes a very different thing. So when I use kingdom Christian as a proper noun, I hear things in discussion groups and, and on KCFSG and, and in different forums where people say things like, well, kingdom Christians wouldn't do this or kingdom Christians do this. And it, it, it's being broken out into more like a, my version of some neo-Anabaptist group mentality instead of the people that are adherents to this political notion around the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, from that saying, perspective, the term, the term has, has narrowed down from what, what it meant to you initially. Yeah. Right. And from that perspective, Dank Kingdom is like a fitting corrective. Like it puts it back in a place where it's not, it's not intended to be tame or safe or, or bland. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Tame, safe, and bland are, are, are good terms because I think I think the the idea of of taming something is bending it to our will, and I think a lot of the arguments among like Anna, Anabaptists plus David Berceau, um, uh -huh. where where we start like just creating a new set of of requirements on everybody around us to be like we want them to be. Um, that that's what it's about. It's about trying to. It's about trying to manage my entire environment and the people around me to get them to, to to force them into a mold that i would like them to be in and that's just antithetical to the kingdom of god like the only person who gets to make molds in this kingdom is jesus right and and mm. and his and, and he's he's not about cramming people into a mold he's about like putting a vision in front of us and and unshackling us to chase after it um and so it's a completely different mindset. So when you take that, um, yeah, so when you take the, it's not really even a political term anymore when you begin to uh, attach it to like lists of, of cultural lifestyle practices, even if they happen to be good practices. Right, right. So that's the other thing is that I think that I think that there are antecedents from the idea that Jesus is a king, like he has laws that he expects us to follow. He has requirements. He has domain. He has certain, you know, objectives, like all of those things are antecedent consequences of the idea of kingdom Christianity, but you can easy put the cart before the horse and you can start to create some identity around the antecedents and lose the whole notion of the kingship being the dominant the dominant thing that we're trying to grab a hold of right i think that's that's perfectly said yes because especially in, in cultures like the one i like like mine there's we we already have a weakness for for fixating on on those sorts of details lifestyle right. details rather than the core of the thing so so uh yeah and and i and and it it is important that uh, this is something that i think people from other subcultures tend to have a harder time grasping is that these political ideas do have real world um practical consequences they, right. pr they should produce change in our lives if we really believe them they should make us stand out from the world around us in certain ways um one of the and, people in the comments rosanna brubaker she's asking um she said what's the difference between the kingdom christianity that we're espousing and the two kingdom concept of anabaptism is there a is there a distinction um She's, she, that's, um, she said in Mennonite thought, it's bending over backward to love your enemy. It's not voting. It's living like an ambassador. So what is the, um, obviously there's some overlap and there's some similarities there, but I think there's some, 
I think there's some subtle differences between the two kingdom concept of Anabaptism and the kingship of Christ as it's um, promoted in uh, in kingdom Christianity. Yeah, I would I would tend to think of there's certainly a large overlap, but I would tend to think of two kingdoms theology, which I I'm, I fully endorse and embrace and teach about. But I, I would consider that an antecedent, and 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 it's an antecedent because of this. The primary overarching issue is Jesus is King, right? That's the one thing that we want to drive home. That's like, that's like one of the core pillar tenets of Christianity: Jesus is King. Well, if he's King, then he has a nation, and if he has a nation, it's going to relate to other nations. How does that relationship? happen what does that look like and that's where we derive our 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 thinking about this interaction between the kingdoms that's two kingdom and 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 to sum it up it's just that there's only really two powers at play in the world there's the kingdom of god and the kingdoms of men and they're all they're both acting in mutually exclusive ways uh where where they have this interaction that's that has all these kind of like outpourings, like how do the Christian people who are a part of the kingdom of God interact in different men's kingdoms and recognizing that all of those other kingdoms, whether it's, whether it's China, Egypt, Iraq, America, Canada, Brazil, wherever, all of those other nation states are separate powers. In other words, the antecedent of the two kingdoms idea would be that you cannot have a Christian state that's not the church. The, the church is the only potential Christian state. Every other state cannot be the, a Christian state. It's like calling something a Christian asparagus. It's not appropriate. It's not an appropriate descriptive of, of a nation state to call it Christian. It cannot be because what it means to be a Christian state or a Christian country is to be totally aligned and subject to Jesus and his ways. Well, we know that that states can't run that way. So when we run up to Romans 13 and its contradictions, potential contradictions with like Matthew 5 and 6, then then we say, okay, well, how do we resolve this? How do we, what's the recourse for the, for this potential contradiction? And two kingdoms is, is the recourse. That's how we think about those contradictions to put them in place. But the overarching premise is that Jesus is king is the ultimate fact of, of kingdom Christianity. So if, if that, that sort of an emphasis on Jesus's kingship is is the the primary thing and the most important thing would you feel like completely unified with a lot of people sort of coming from the evangelical world in the last i don't know how many years of, of scholarship where they have been starting to emphasize that like people like scott mcknight matthew bates um some of these scholars even nt wright have been really trying to course correct on that would you fully embrace them as, you know, your brothers in Christ, as kingdom Christians, even though they might not, you know, have some of the same applications of Jesus' teachings that you would? Um, you, you would have to define a lot of those terms. Like, 
I, I am I, I I'm willing to embrace I, I embrace people who aren't Christians. So I I I have a, a brotherhood of man. You shouldn't be embracing anyone right now. But. <laughs> I have a right. I have a brotherhood of man concept that allows me to accept a lot of people in a lot of places. And, and I'm generally encouraged when people recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't, I, because of the way that, that my church is structured around, around communion in the Eucharist, that's a very safe place for me to sit. And so I'm, I'm willing to engage with people at, at, on the benefit of the doubt and in good faith from just about any perspective. Um, I certainly am glad to see the the scholarly corrective, especially with people like Matthew Bates and and some of the right stuff. Um, those things I think are helpful and and useful for the conversation. I actually I actually talked with Matthew Bates and um, he did a he actually did a, le- a guest lecture with Sattler. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and I had I had talked to him uh, in messaging. And and encouraged, I was really encouraged with some of his stuff, and and reached out to him, and I asked, I t- I told him, I said, you know, we from we we picked this stuff up in the patristics before you were writing, before I ever knew that you were writing about it, and so it's neat to see people embracing these ideas that we've been talking about. Um, if if Pistis is allegiance, and and I think that's an appropriate claim to make, then what does treason mean? How does our relationship to the state and to the nation state of America and its its potential demands on our our allegiance, how does that contradict our allegiance to Christ? And he said that those are thoughts that he's been thinking about, too. So I think it's certainly a, a fertile soil of discourse, regardless of whatever differences we may have with some of those brothers. Mm-hmm. So. Um, to, to, to make put it in more simple terms, would you have more in common with one of them than with maybe a conservative Anabaptist who has almost all the same uh, applications of scripture than you, but really doesn't understand that, that the kingship of Jesus is central? That's a really interesting um, question. I, I've, ex- I, I've experimented with that question in, in my years. I, um, if you guys don't mind the quick detour, when I when I lived in Pennsylvania, I went to Effort of Christian Fellowship for several years, and I was exactly median there as far as lifestyle and practice. Like I fit in dead center in that very large charity church. Um, I was, you know, as far as modesty standards, lifestyle, a lot of the just practical day to day what it what it looks like to live life. I fit in the dead center of that church, but I had a lot of radical ideas that were very divergent. My ideas on charisma, my ideas on economics, my ideas on community were very divergent. Like there was a lot of, a lot of discrepancy between me and the guy next to me on a, on a seat about some of those ideological and philosophical concepts. And, and then I had, a, I had some friends in, in Virginia, actually, in Stewart's Draft, n- not at the Beachy Church, but this eclectic little band in, in Dan Stewart's. and Sarah Byler? Uh, they came around, but they weren't a part of that main group. They're part of our church now. They said they got Are they really? Here. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have to send them my greetings. But um, 
there was a weird little group of us. In fact, we ended up calling it Camp Crazy Christian, a name that not everybody loved, but took off. It's uh, worse than dank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> so we were, we, so at, at those guys down there in Virginia were exactly the opposite case in these kind of like ideas about radicalism and about kingdom ethos. They were, I was dead center with them philosophically, but I was radically more conservative than them. My lifestyle was very, very much more conservative than them. And, and I went, I did the thought experiment. I thought, you know, what does it take for me to change? So I go to church on Sunday in Pennsylvania. And I think that maybe this guy next to me is covetous. Maybe he's a multimillionaire and he's living this cush life and, and like, I, I, there's all these problems about kingdom economics. There's all these problems about what community means. There's all these problems about what God's Holy Spirit is doing. There's all these problems about how the gospel is supposed to be working in the world. Like there's these core issues that I think are really important stuff. And how do I change his mind about that? Well, to change his mind about that is really like, that's not easy stuff. That's core stuff. Whereas in Virginia, there's a brother there that has a wedding ring. And I think, well, I don't think that's right. I think the scriptures say we ought not to do that. But how hard is that to fix? Like, it's just like, there, you're done. Like, that's not hard. Like, yeah. that's a, you just have to convince him. And then it's super easy to fix. And I thought, well, okay, so then, then maybe I should try that. Maybe I should be willing to step out and follow my philosophy instead of my practice. My experiment had mixed results. I, I, I think that there's, there's, a, there's a kernel of truth in that premise, but it turns out, I think that the things that we do in practice are a lot more connected to our hearts than what I thought. And so it's not, it's not always just that easy. There's, there's a lot of other things that are involved with why we, why we practice the way we do that, that has a lot of heartstrings attached to it. I don't regret the experiment. I think it was a really healthy thing for me to do. And I think that in general terms, I would still lean towards people's, people's higher ideals being more important than, than the, the outside of the package. But I, I think the outside of the package has a lot more going on than meets the eye. Interessante. Uh, Jay Anthony is touching his face. Just want to point that out. <laughs> want to call that out? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I hope, yeah. I hope um, you, oh, my sanitizer's not on my desk. I'd share it with you, but it's <laughs> my hallway. I got some Lysol over on the phone. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Let's model good behavior on here. Oh, yeah. Yes, I, we put out a video Saturday. We were all in masks because we were in the same room. I saw. Yeah, that's what I call leadership right here. <laughs> um, right. So, so the uh, Rosanna says that still sounds exactly what she like what she grew up uh, hearing, and right. um, and and she she says she was taught that Jesus' kingdom was only spiritual, mm. and I think maybe we haven't clarified what we're talking about yet. Yeah, when I say real and present king, I mean right here, right now. I mean, like Jesus has a physical nation. It, it just that he doesn't have a physical throne that he's sitting on. 
but that so a, a good example would be uh, one of my first live streams that I ever did was dropping my family off for an immigration rally in Boston. And I took a lot of heat for that. I don't know if it was on Fatwa or if it was on my own page, but but a lot of people were upset because that was too political. And I said, well, it is political. It's certainly a political statement, but it's political to according to the means of my king. And my king told me to welcome the stranger. And my king told me to, to, to be hospitable. And that's a, that's a core tenet of the people of God because people took in the Israelites when they were strangers. And that was an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was there to tell immigrants, I'm not afraid of you. I don't hate you. I welcome you. I'm glad you're here don't be afraid of us. And we're not afraid of you. That's an important message. Now, I don't think that my whole, my whole, all my brothers didn't go. It was something I did. And I mean, nobody was against me doing it, but it wasn't like it was a church function, but it was within the idea of the, of the real present nation of Christ as an ambassador for him to go and communicate to that, to that community and to those people that I was for them, not against them. Now I don't have any I don't have any aspirations to try to control the United States immigration policy. I don't particularly care what they do. That's their that's their job to do, not mine. Now where those where those purposes cross, then so like if I if I if I care for someone, brought them into my home or was was helping meet their needs or just friends with them and they were at cross purposes with U.S. immigration, i.e. here illegally, and, and coming to be a part of the church, those are communications. We would have to talk about how do we resolve this conflict. Mm-hmm. But my job, is not to, my job is not to be holden necessarily to U.S. immigration policy. My job is to understand what my king's immigration policy is, what my king's mm-hmm. purpose for the stranger and the pilgrim is my king's desire for how I should treat those people. So uh, like another, another instance would be I've, I've, I personally have protested wars um, and I've protested them with people who are not Christians. I've protested abortion with people who are Catholics. I've, I've been out in making public statements in loud ways with people who are, have a different purpose than mine but our purposes align in that place. And mm-hmm. because of my interest in establishing Jesus's way on earth, Jesus's way for people, I'm willing to negotiate that territory in ways that often, and this is where I've run afoul of the Mennonite community, is that when I was, when I was spending time with conservative Anabaptists, the, in their little rule book, it said that you can't be a part of any organization uh, I think it even said humanitarian organization who doesn't see Jesus Christ as the ultimate, um, how did it word it as the ultimate answer for the world's problems or whatever, something like that. So like you couldn't do anything human, you couldn't be a part of any humanitarian group that wasn't Christian centered. And I, I don't, I, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that program because there are all kinds of things that can be done where we can where we can mix our influence, where we can where we can leverage our inputs, in order to produce outcomes that are good for the kingdom of God. You know, if I can pay taxes, and that's a reasonable thing, and I know that my money's going to go to oppress people with petrodollars, I, I, 
I can, if I can, if I'm, if I have enough latitude under Christ's domain to be able to pay taxes that are going to go for horrible things, maybe some good things, but maybe some horrible things, then I think there's enough room for us to figure out the nuances of whether or not we should stand next to somebody and protest an oppressive war or not. That, mm. That's how I apply these political no aspirations of the kingdom of God. Yes, and, 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 and I think it's like this concept of the, the kingdom of God, of, of Jesus' kingdom being spiritual, I think is a really core distinction um, that I'd yeah. like to drive home because this is essentially the way I was taught to think about the kingdom of God growing up too. Um, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think a lot of people read that. A lot of Anabaptists read that and they go, oh, his kingdom is not in this world. Right. Um, that's not what he said. He's saying his kingdom derives from a different place, from a different set of values, from a different, a different authority. Nothing. It's not based in something that's grounded in this world, but his kingdom is very much here. So if the kingdom of God, like, it also attaches to this whole idea that our goal is to just to get through life so we can, so that we can get airlifted out of here to heaven. Um, then it's like nothing that happens here in the interim counts. That is not, that is not historic mm -hmm. kingdom Christianity. Um, we, I, I would, I would take, ex, I would 100%. Um, uh, I, I, I would say that is, that's, I would say that's a false statement the way that it for what it for what it says to me the way i was brought up thinking jesus kingdom is is only spiritual that is right. a false statement jesus kingdom is just as real as in fact it's more real than most right. of the world nation states because they have all of these artificial borders and they put up a little piece of cloth with colors on it and pretend that that has some kind of profound unique meaning to their people and they create these concepts of exceptionalism. Every nation thinks they're unlike any other nation and better than the others. And all of those things, they're fables. Um, and temporary. Yeah, and very temporary. They don't last. The kingdom of God is here. It is made up of people just like any legitimate nation, nation state is. Anyone would tell you that about America. Um, it's not. It's not the land, it's the people, you know. Americans right. are so much awesomer than other people. Well, Jesus' kingdom is made up of actual people living by an actual coherent set of laws under a coherent authority structure. Um, it, it, has, it has more of the real parts than nation states do, and, it, and, and we're talking about right here on Earth, right now. And that's why it's so completely absurd for someone to say, you know, to, to think about an, uh, a Christian nation, because you cannot take like United States and tack it onto Russia. You can't say, I, you know, you, you, you don't, you, you, you if, if this is just a set of concepts about what we believe about the afterlife, then it makes sense that you could have a nation full of people who share those concepts. And, and we do here in the United States to a large degree. Um, but it's but if it's an actual nation, then it can't be tagged on to anything else. It has to stand alone. It actually has to stand in opposition to all of the others, right. even if it integrates with them for purposes of undermining them. It's 
it is it is um it's ultimately it can't mix well and jesus said as much the kingdom of god is within you or among you like it's and i think that was his point in that discourse is to say look right here not out there it's not it's not some far off thing just like god is not some far off entity right here in the middle of you that's where my kingdom is and and yes. all the implications of what that means and, so, and another thing for anabaptists specifically again relating to my people i know that's rosanna's background as well and that's where this question originally came from i think it's really worth making sure we've answered is it, once you have spiritualized the kingdom of god then it's actually compatible. You can actually develop all of these divided loyalties. And this is what we see among our people. I, it's, we have degenerated from where we once were, where we really understood that clearly, I think, um, to where now, because this is just a little compartmentalized set of things we believe about some future time, it allows us to develop allegiances to some earthly empire or other that that conflict and over time completely erode and negate whatever we say we believe about the kingdom of God. So we have these, we may have these leftover forms, husks of our beliefs in the kingdom of God, like not, uh, you know, refusing military service or jury duty or not voting. But, but when you sit a person down, you, you can find thousands of people who still hold those forms. And if you sit them down and you start to talk politics with them, they are 100% bought and paid for body and soul to a certain political um, agenda. And, mm -hmm. and that happens because people were not taught that Jesus kingdom is here and it's real. Yeah. And I think that um, it, it, it creates the potential where you can, uh, I know a lot of the, a lot of the old men in the Willamette Valley are kind of like non-voting Republicans. And we're, we're watching that happen now with the Corona crisis. People are weighing this idea that I, I'm an American. I can't be told to, to, that my business needs to shut down or that I should stay in my house. That's eroding my civil liberties. I don't know how many plain people I've heard talking about the erosion of civil, liber civil, civil liberties. But I, I, as a Christian, as a kingdom Christian, I'm like, if the government tells me to stay in my house, like I, there's a pandemic going on. Of course, like it's, it's not about me. It's, it's, the, it's the king establishing order for the good of his domain. Like this is his land. It's his money. It's his soil. It's his forest. He, he has proper domain over it. Like I don't have to, I don't have to be worried about my American civil liberties or the end of the American empire. Like, okay. Right. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe the end of the empire has come. I think that if you look at, if you analyze like the end of the British empire, it doesn't always come in a nuclear war. Sometimes it degrades into, into a lack of influence, a lack of power, yeah. bankrupting, you know, colonial oh, a lack of blowing people up halfway around the world. I'm all right. for that. Let's, right. let's let's move that direction if that yes please and, um, and we recognize we recognize that that might actually mean that you know somebody else like china are the ones right. that go around the world blowing up people and maybe that's happened you know maybe it's us with the drone coming overhead in some future scenario 
But, and then it's our Christian brother's job to challenge that state narrative. Yes, there's lots of Christians in China. And don't we hope that they are not, you know, going praise the Lord past the ammo right. when, when the drones are over our head. So, and, and, and that's, that's the other thing. We, it allows us to have solidarity. We right. understand Jesus' kingdom is here. We can have solidarity with believers everywhere. And we don't have these weird conflicts of interest where we're simultaneously, you know, praying for our brothers in China um, or around the world, you know, praying for the international church as it's at a real concept and then and then cheering while bombs are dropped on our brothers and sisters. Right. Um, Doug and Wilson, all things become in, in possible. Our, we should let Blanky Dave speak here, but I was going to mention that Doug Wilson in my debate said that he was so blessed by the story of these Christians praying that God would protect anyone who might be turning toward him from their guns before they went to yeah. battle. <laughs> it's just, well, there you go. That's... I didn't even, I didn't even know how to address that. But... <laughs> anyway, Dave, you, been, Dave's been trying to say something for the last 15 minutes. Well, I've tried to say different things at different points, so it's fine. <laughs> um, one, a couple things. One question that, that I'd like to dig into partly just for my own processing and understanding partly because i think it'd be helpful but something that struck me today um that just really hit me when we talk about this the whole concept of the american empire and you know you mentioned paying taxes and stuff is the fact that um as a dad um you got a little boy that i would pretty much do anything for and i can't imagine um you know having to worry about where he's going to be able to sleep tonight or whether, you know, a bomb's going to blow up and kill him or something. And then to realize that my tax dollars and your tax dollars are paying for that very thing to happen to other men's little boys and little girls. And like, yeah, that's the world we live in. But as a Christian, how are you, how, how, how could you be cool with that? Now I pay it because Jesus said, pay it. Um, so I'm going to do it. And Jesus was saying to pay those taxes to somebody that was far more brutal than the American government ever dreamed of being. Um, you know, at least in most cases, I mean, the Romans were publicly crucifying people, you know, and Jesus says, we'll pay the taxes. So that, that just, that concept of kingdom Christianity as realizing that Jesus King kingdom means looking at it, it, the, the, the superseding of your of your own loyalty, like that, that you actually have more kinship with the suffering Christians that talk another language and eat different food in another culture than you do with the American that lives across the street from you, I think is a concept a lot of people um, don't grasp. And I think it's one of the most powerful things about King Christianity. But um the question that I have is, you know, we've talked a lot about how there's no such thing as a Christian nation. You can't have a Christian nation, um, you know, and all these things. But um, what happens to an area? I mean, I often think of, you know, the tribes in South America or in Indonesia where the gospel comes and by and large, the entire tribe's converted. They still have their culture and their practices and their way of deciding who's gonna go and pick the yams this year or whatever they decide you know 
and they have all this, they have a culture and so forth. So how, how does, how does, what would it look like if the vast majority of Americans became true kingdom Christians or everybody in my county became kingdom Christians? And um, I don't find the argument, well, that's just simply not going to happen, very compelling because number one, it's defeatist. And number two, it feels to me like a cop out because then there's no there's no actual answer there's no actual answer to it, and God's God's plan in my mind can't simply have been well, um, you know I'm just gonna just pretty much assume that X number of people are gonna be damned, um, and then and then um, I'm gonna be able to work to work out everything that needs to be done through them. And then these people over here are going to actually be the saved ones, and they're going to do the other part of my work. I, I don't find that argument very convincing, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, maybe I'm missing something. But I'd love to hear from you guys. Well, I think your post-millennialism is showing a little bit, but we'll we'll leave that no, be. I'm not sure why why you say that. <laughs> I I uh, so step one is that I I I I don't think that the church is designed to be people pulling the levers of power. I think that there's, there's very specifically, uh, so I, 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 one of my most recommended books is, is Verduin's Anatomy of a Hybrid. And I worry that sometimes I recommend that to people and they don't get what I'm, what I'm after in it. Cause I think there's some conversations around the principles of Anatomy of a Hybrid that are worth kind of like elaborating on. Like it's a, it's a jumping off point. But Verduin has this idea, I talk about it a lot. He, he uses these terms, um, conserving grace and redeeming grace. And, and they're, they're mutually necessary. They're both graces. In other words, they're designed to perform God's desire on the earth, but they're mutually exclusive. So where the one begins, the other by definition has to end. And so so there's a system in place during the church age in particular until the second advent when as a premillennialist, I think that God's going to reign over the earth. But regardless, we'll leave the eschaton alone. Well, I believe God's going to reign over the earth. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I'm well, with not you. at odds there. <laughs> I, I know. I hear you. But, uh, but the, the point of Verduin is, is this, that these mutually exclusive spheres of authority and, 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 and power, they, they have their own roles to fulfill. And the one role of conserving grace is the realm, it's the Romans 13 realm. It's the, it's the power of the sword to coerce. And, and it's designed for those who are not under the church. That's its proper object. And it's designed to keep men from decaying into animals. It's designed to put checks on the passions of men. And that the, the, the responsible party to keep men from becoming animals has to bear a sword because if it, that's the only way to control those passions. The job of the church is never to touch that sword. It's the opposite of her job. Her job is to, by the grace of Christ and the gospel, call people out of that structure and into her structure. So in her structure, there is no sword. There's no club. There's no force. There's no coercion. Mm -hmm. It's all will and love that runs the, 
And so that's the answer to your question. If everyone was to migrate out of the domain of, of, the, of the power of the state into coming under subjection to Christ, then we would run everything like the church. Well, the yeah. church works very well in large numbers. Our, our, yeah. our, our ability to compel one another by love and by responsibility and by care for each other is, is well known. I mean, in Jerusalem, they're doing it by the thousands. They're, they have a structured, organized society where they're meeting out goods and people's needs and, and doing all of this socioeconomic uh, leveling like that's the hardest stuff to do, right? That's the stuff the state's horrible at is, is socioeconomic distribution to create one plateaued group of people where well, the church does that super well in Jerusalem with thousands of people because there's no, co there's no stick behind it. There's no force and people are choosing to care for others. And the world could run like that if everyone had come under the dominion of Christ. So if you talk about the jungle the jungle subculture, this tiny tribe of people that all become Christians, well, they should run their society like a, like a church. They, I mean, the, the Hutterites are doing it in large okay, numbers of so, hundreds of people. Right. And that's that, that was my point was that we would say that that's possible, that that's doable. The tribe Absolutely. can come together and make those decisions. So you're simply saying that um, if everybody in your state came together and said we're going to follow jesus the same thing would apply right absolutely yeah and yeah, that as long as as long as there's however many ungodly people there are there's going to be a few sword bearers among those ungodly people right. to keep to keep the ungodly ones in line right 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 uh, the, the church will will um the church will eliminate will make those jobs obsolete to whatever extent it grows um that when 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 the church takes over the society um then the other power structures dissolve and evaporate but can, can we make two things abundantly clear here for those that uh that these may be new ideas to is first of all what we are describing here is not a theocracy at least not in the at least not in the commonly understood sense this right. is not about kingdom christians gaining the levers of power so right. that they can exert power um which is what happened in the reformation is what happened in the counter-reformation is what uh what the whole dominion theology is attempting to do right now because um, the theocracy just has the priest holding the state sword right right and that, and that, and secondly, the 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 concept of subversion of the of nation states is also it's not it's not about violence. It's not about the the idea of tearing down. It's an idea of, of a calling to something different and new. Now, to the nation state, it doesn't feel or look any different. They don't right. you know, they don't like it. You you tell people um, the the nation state says, hey. Let's go and blow up people halfway around the world. And you as a Christian say, how about we don't? And you try to convince everybody in your block not to do it either. Um, there's going to be some there's going to be some conflict there. But that's the subversion that we're talking about. It's a subversion of love, not um, not for the purpose of of destroying social order. Right. And it's a transposition of allegiance. And that that's super critical, like states. That, that's why we have the narratives around national identity 
and and nationalism that we do it's just nationalism is just tribalism on a bigger level and that taking away the power of the tribe and putting it into christ is always a it's always a controversial act right so i have a question Mm -hmm. and this is maybe going to open up a huge can of worms that we need to address in another another session here and I, i think i asked this question on a on a thread somewhere and you guys responded to it, but I didn't read your response. <laughs> um, I'm glad it, we spent the time to write it out then. <laughs> I, I think I, look, I've said before, but it, I, I just do not read long comments on Facebook. Like if I want to read a large body of text, I read a book. Other than that, I, I prefer audio. Um, well, you should not so here we are here. I can get my, I can get my audio response. It's something that I'm still trying to figure out where I'm at. So it's it's the idea of whether that conserving grace is performing a morally good action or a morally evil action. Um, and you know, I just I just read Anatomy of the Hybrid, and he seemed to he seemed to indicate that he thinks that it's not necessarily morally evil for the state to do that, but it's just that the Christians shouldn't get involved, which is the the view that I was taught as a conservative Mennonite. But, you know, right. I've, I've taken a more, I guess, a more radical view in, in the last few years, and, and which is why I, I am, have sometimes used the term Christian anarchist as well in saying that, no, what the government does is evil and it's wrong. It's always wrong to be violent, but God will sometimes sovereignly use that for his purposes. And, and, and that I have a lot less cognitive dissonance with that view than saying that there's something good that Christians shouldn't be involved in. Because if it's good, why shouldn't Christians be involved in it? But what's making me really rethink this is the question that I think you, Blanky Dave, asked at, at some point, which is if it's evil for any for, for the state to execute violence, then why do we call the police? When I'm when I call the police, I am um, I'm giving someone an opportunity where I'm I'm encouraging someone to do something. That's evil. And this is the this is the question that's causing me the most cognitive dissonance with my with even Christian nonviolence in general right now. And it's it's pushing me to where I might go back to sort of the the conservative Anabaptist view of the state and that it's not necessarily evil, but just is something that Christians should not participate in. I don't think those are mutually exclusive um, options. So, So explain that to me, because I mean. We, we, you can come up with some nuanced, you know, flowery response or, or anyone could, but like, and, and that's maybe I just need to sit in that, that sort of an I, nuance, but I, I really want an answer, a straight up answer to this question. Is the police sinning when they use violence? <laughs> okay. I, I need to go put my children to bed here very quickly. So if I could, I want to hear the rest yeah, wanna... of your answers, but I might come back and listen to them later. Okay, good. Um, um, I, my, my the, it, it's, it's challenging to me as well, Titus, and I've definitely evolved on this, but, um, I was, but, but I, I think the, the short answer is yes, I believe it's sin. Anything that is not what God intent, the way God intended humans to live is sin, um, in, in the broadest sense. It's God did not intend for guys with guns to show up and do violence to prevent other people from doing violence. But, but random violence, uh, every time someone takes, every time a psychopath takes it into his head to do violence, um, is, is 
more damaging to society than organized violence is. And God has created, it's almost a self-healing um, feature of or, or a self-governing feature of society that somebody always rises to the top to produce some sort of order in a society. You can't, you can't flatten a society out. There are going to be people, maybe they're the psychopaths who decide they want to decide who kills and when. And that creates a safer society and a society where humans are living in more possible than the other kind. And so I would look at it, what is doing with that is more like if, if I had a chemical leak coming, it's all, a little bit like the, the trolley problem. Um, you know, he, 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 has, he has a situation where he has people with free will who are killing each other and or raping each other or doing whatever you know taking each other's stuff and he and there's a range of possible outcomes um that he can allow and the one that the one that and and i, I don't know that he's he's like getting involved in this on a, on a, you know fiddling with the with the knobs on a regular basis but 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 he set it up so that if people are going to be doing violence, um, he's going to flip the switch that runs the trolley car down the track where the least lives are at stake. Um, and, and that is also what, what we are doing when we're, as bystanders, and I think we should really think carefully about calling the police. I would, for instance, not call the police to protect my property um, because that's potentially weighing my my stuff against someone else's life if the police have to resort to violence but for 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 other situations that is a that's a different um a, a different equation and when i'm looking at two sets of people um one prepared to do one person prepared to do violence um on a anarchic basis and one prepared to do violence within within certain limits to prevent this other violence and neither one of them are in submission to my king right now i'm willing to pit the the uh the ordered violence against the disordered violence in situations where that's going to decrease the overall violence and i think that i, I for, for me i've come to peace that that's something very different than me doing violence myself my own involvement mm -hmm. in the situation to whatever degree i get involved continues to operate on the on the I'm going to look to prevent any of the violence from occurring in any way I possibly can, even if it costs me harm. Um, but, but if there's a way for me to leverage the, these violent forces against each other in a way that minimizes the, out, the, the, the destructiveness of the outcome, I don't think that conflicts with my, with my uh, responsibilities as a kingdom citizen. So I apologize. I have to run off on you guys. But See ya. Um, good night. Night, yeah, and see, I want to respond to something you said, and I guess maybe we'll have to take that up next time. Um, yeah, we will. <laughs> I think Anthony, I I pretty much agree with most of what he said. Um, I think Anthony's view of sin is a little broader than mine, um, which is why um, I, I think it's I think his view of sin would be a lot more of a of a um, including all what Catholics would refer to as venial sins, um, because, you know, in the, in the tattoo discussion, um, he would have said that he would say that, that he thinks tattoos are sin, whereas 
I think they're a bad idea. No, we're not going to start this whole tattoo discussion here. But, um, you know, I we'll don't save think it for sin. the memes. Yeah, that's right. Don't I don't think it's sin. I just don't, I just think it's a bad plan. I, I don't see why you do it. Well, he says, well, anything that's short of God's, God's perfection is sin. Well, okay. So my thought is, number one, I can't put violence, and, and I would even go so far as to say a soldier, um, you know, going in, in active wars of conquest on the same level of sin as a murderer. I just simply can't. And I don't think, I don't think you can justify that from scripture. Um, and I can give you several reasons why, why I believe that. Well, for one, um, Paul uses the soldier, possibly the soldier he's chained to, as, as an illustration multiple times in scripture. Endure hardness like a good soldier. Put on the armor of God and fight against all these different things. He said, you know, be a soldier, stand, stand firm as a soldier and so on, uh, tearing down strongholds, all these different metaphors. Um, imagine that if I would talk to you about evangelism and I would say, no, you need to attract people to Jesus. Um, you need to become a prostitute for Jesus and really appeal to people and really now, draw them in and be attractive and and you would be repulsed by the idea of making that comparison aren't we supposed to be addicted to the fellowship of the saints right exactly getting high on jesus <laughs> but uh but my, but my point is we we see um a or or even if he just said to you know be a murderer for jesus you know to to plot how we can um, fight against Satan like a, a, a murderer. No. So to me, looking at that illustration, that doesn't mean that being a soldier is God's perfect will or what God should do or consistent with the teachings of Christ. I don't believe any of those things to be the case, but I can't put it for that reason. I can't put it on the same level as murder in my mind because, because of how it's used in scripture multiple times. So um, with that said, I think it's used for illustrative purposes. Um, just like the whole running a race um, doesn't mean that I think that, um, that Paul was suggesting that the Corinthians ought to compete in the Olympics. You know, I don't, I don't think that was the case. He was using an illustration of something I understood. So I, I guess I don't, view, um, I don't view the idea that I don't feel like I have to say, yes, it's definitely sin or it's definitely immoral for them to do. It's enough for me to say there's different levels of um, there's different levels of callings. There's different levels of of understanding. You know, there's a lot of things that I really think are what God wants us to do. There's a lot of things that I really think are are the right thing to do. Um, and you know, I'm just but for instance, wearing a head covering. I really think that God meant you ought to do it, but I'm not prepared to de-Christianize everybody who doesn't view it that way. I just think that in that way that I have a higher understanding than they do. And, and that can sound arrogant, but I think we all believe that about different things of our beliefs. Cause if you don't believe your belief is the best belief, then why do you believe the belief you believe? That's what I want to know. So um, the, I, I guess I view that's, that's how I view it, you know? And I think that may, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe that's how Matthew views Christmas, you know? It's just a little higher level of understanding than what, you know, us ho-ho-hoing pagans have. 
you no, know i think christmas is bad <laughs> i i, I was with sinning. you and i was with you until you got to the different callings because that's where i start i i can follow your thread until you get to to the say to the place where we just have different callings because no i'm so let me let me clarify that i don't mean callings as in so-and-so is called to be a cop so-and-so is called right. i i meant i meant levels of understanding good like levels of levels whether it's teaching whether it's where god's brought you to and so on that's that's what i meant as opposed no I, as opposed sure. that's why you the christmas illustration and that's why i have patience with you guys on tattoos because i know you're just not at the, the i i i think that i have a little bit of a different I have a little bit of a different way of getting there, but we might end up at, at, at a pretty close place. What I would say is that I, I, where I can sympathize most with you, Dave, is that I don't feel a need to work out a linear expression. Like I don't have much use for the idea that all sin is sin and there's no differentiation to make about it. Mm -hmm. I think there are better and worse things to do. Mm -hmm. Like the classic example that gets used a lot is, would you lie to the Nazis to hide a Jew? And I always say, well, I think I can avoid absolute moral relativism and say it's better to hide Jews and lie to Nazis than to not hide Jews and not lie to Nazis. Yeah, like I can I can have a weighted moral system. Like, because I think that Jesus does, he talks about weightier matters and he talks about lesser and greater reward and lesser and greater punishment. I, don't, I think we can live in a world that's not black and white and that can be meaningful. So I, I, can, I can say that the policeman or even in some instances, especially a defensive soldier is not like a murdering homicidal psychopath but I can also mm -hmm. say that both of them are not consistent with what Jesus wants people to be. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't have a problem with that delineation of something being less wrong than another thing. It can mm -hmm. be some wrong. Like, and, and I think that there's a fantastic book. I always look at my bookshelf when I mention a fantastic book because I'm wondering if I gave it away. It's called, because I'd like to show it. Let me look real quick and see if it's on my shelf. Hold on. We got to fill the time blanky, Dave. Yeah. So I, we, we <laughs> well, I guess we're both conditionalists, so we don't have, we don't have that to argue about. <laughs> so explain. Oh, this God. book is by Dave Jackson. It's called Dial 911. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. It's probably not. This is from the Jesus people in Evanston, Illinois. Either of you ever heard of them? Uh, Jesus little community in the 70s and 80s. Die 911, the, 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 the subtitle is Peaceful Christians and Urban Violence by Dave Jackson. This is a fascinating book because um, they had an intentional community. At one point, they had 300 saints living within 10 blocks in a major metro area who all had a common purse. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. The Jesus people, they don't live that. I don't think they live nearly that intentionally anymore, but um, they had, they were, they were non-resistant um, and they had a real struggle living in a high crime area. And the, the, the moral dilemmas they faced were this. If a guy breaks into my apartment and ties up my wife and beats her and walks off with a bunch of my stuff as christians we can say the the penal system is punitive 
it's 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 destructive it's it's by design hurtful to people and i'm not going to partake in that and so we'll choose not to call the police but then when that same thief breaks into my neighbor's house who's not a christian and does that to his wife am i morally culpable for not giving the police their place to deal with their robber and that's the that's the moral dilemma that they're wrestling through among other things and and it's really neat to see that worked out from a context that's not theoretical where those are real events and real questions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i'll i'll save i'll save their conclusions for you to read in in their own words but I, I'm, I'm really happy with how they worked through it and what they came away with their conclusions but that that those kinds of scenarios make the question of whether or not I call the police. I think it's more about my motives in calling than it is in, in there being a right or wrong answer to that. And when when the police deal with the criminal, like I think that maybe to Anthony's point that a, an ordered world is a is a is a more whole a more potentially whole world than a chaotic world. And so there's a place that's, that's useful, even if it's not ideal. And that's how I would view a properly functioning state. That makes sense. Gives me something to think about. I'm still trying to work it out. Maybe it, it probably isn't one of those things you can work out in a very black and white way. But I know that, you know, if I do more debates on nonviolence, it, it might be helpful to have clear answers to give people. What I always say is that it's not my job to tell a policeman or a soldier whether or not he's going to hell. It's my job to tell him he's not obedient to Jesus. Yeah, He's got to work that out. And I can also tell him whether or not he belongs in my communion table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that freedom to have that nuance and say, it's between that's why that's why a black and white question like Titus is, is why I said I don't think it's mutually exclusive. We can say right. this is not the will of God. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely not the will of God that you should be going and committing violence against people. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, what you do with that, you got to figure out because, you know, we don't we don't see. I wish some of these conversations were recorded. The conversation with Cornelius. Wouldn't that have been a great mm -hmm. conversation to have when Peter kind of breaks it to him about the mm -hmm. Sermon on the Mount bit? You know, or the 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 Filipino jailer, you know? The most <laughs> mis, mis, uh, misnomered man in the Bible. <laughs> you know, where Paul tells him, well, you know, this, uh, this empire that you're part of. And none of that's mentioned. And I, I really wish... We could we could have had and, and listened to the apostles share that, but I, I guess it's by design that God didn't give us those insights. Maybe because He wants us to figure out some things in our context in our day. I don't know. Well, we're 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 getting close to two hours. I think that um, we should uh, we should take some requests. Um, anybody listen to this? You should you should uh, check out DKCM on Facebook uh grow the base there um make some pithy memes and uh see what you can come up with and we'll we'd be willing to accept recommendations for things we should talk about and maybe maybe next week we can highlight a meme of the week uh yeah. on the, on the on the dkp um 
how how about I want to give an opportunity to to shout out any resources or information or media that you've been into lately that you think people should hear about. I, I want to give a quick shout out to the Chosen series. Have either of you guys seen that? I've seen the ads. Oh, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. It's amazing. Everybody's in quarantine. You have no excuse for not watching the chosen. Get get on and binge it if you have to. But everyone should watch that. It. I I, t I tell people when I when I tell people they should watch this. I've watched I've watched Jesus media since I was a kid. I've seen every movie about Jesus and the apostles that I've ever come across. I've never seen anything that comes close to matching my my internal framework around what I think Jesus was like. This is as close as I've ever seen. It's really, really well done. Um, there's obviously it's obviously historical fiction, so they're making up all kinds of dialogue and things. But but where where it's apart from the scriptures, it's it's word for word accurate almost. It's really really well done. Beautiful. Beautifully out. done. So I, I highly recommend it. It's at some everyone point, I see that's seen it's enjoyed it. At, at some point, and I don't know if a private conversation or a, or a uh, part of the podcast uh, discussion or whatever it is, um, but I would love to hear your your take on Sarah Rudin's book. I know you shared a little bit about it, but I'd love yeah. to, I'd love to talk about some of those ideas and stuff at some point. Yeah, let's do it. I just read the passage on homosexuality and F Felix and I on Talking in the Chasm are due to do an uh, episode on both homosexuality and transgenderism. Uh, he has a child, one of his young people is uh, transgender. And so those are conversations that we're planning to have and I think both a little afraid to have. So uh, her her discourse on on homosexuality was super thought provoking for me so far. Have have either of you been reading or watching or listening to anything lately that you want to give props to? Um, I've been reading uh, to the Golden Shore, the life of Adoniram Judson. Really good so far. Benny loves that book. Yeah, I actually got it from his recommended books. Every now and then when I try to figure out some books to buy, I'll go on a website that he probably hasn't updated in 10 years and look <laughs> at his recommended reading list. Um, and I've been watching Tiger King, which I'm not sure that I recommend publicly, but. <laughs> Everybody's been watching Tiger King, except apparently me. <laughs> it is blowing my mind. I mean, it is the craziest show I have ever seen. It's, in, it's just insane. Um, but anyways, that's not officially recommended. Yeah, we'll leave that off the recommend the, the <laughs> Kingdom yeah, Pod recommendation list. <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't been watching anything super, um, super, uh, what do you say, edifying or whatever, um, mind feeding. Uh, my my thing, if I have a bunch of downtime and I haven't watched it for a while, that I go back to again and again is the UK Office. Um, the UK, the UK office is completely different flavor than the American office. Um, and it's, it's got the awkwardness turned up to 11. Um, and I just, I don't know, for some reason it just resonates with me, especially when, especially when things are kind of crazy. It's, um, I, the, I, I'm not exactly humor, sure why. The brand Pardon? of humor that the office has is like my brand of humor, like 
150%. Like, I love it. And it's it's right on the edge of like what my wife and I allow ourselves to watch as far as all the crude humor. So I don't know what to do with that. But like, so which humor, are you talking the UK office or US office? What's it? What I don't know. Is it how is it different? Is it a different cast? Uh, oh, yeah, different. absolutely. And different, okay. like the whole the first I think the first couple episodes were shot for shot the same. Um, okay. But then they started diverging. So the US office is a lot more upbeat. And um, the UK office is is it's more like eating dark chocolate. It's got, it just has this bitter edge to it, but it's, there's something, I feel like the UK office is more real to life. Like it's actually, um, it's actually the way petty people are. And the boss uh, who's played by Ricky Gervais is um, one of the most petty people. Um, one of my favorite scenes is where he's, he asks somebody who their role model is. My mom. Uh, no, well, if it was a man, well, my dad. No, I'm thinking somebody more in, in the work arena. Oh, well then, Tim. Well, I'm thinking like more like somebody that's in authority. Okay, okay, Jen. No, we already said we weren't doing a woman. <laughs> and it's just so funny because it's so obvious to finally she's like, well, I guess the only person left is you. Oh, <laughs> Well, that's embarrassing, but I'm flattered. <laughs> and I'm it's sure just, this is a lot funnier in the actual in, in the actual show. Yes, really it's Ricky it. Gervais because he makes everything awkward. Everything, and, and it's that it's that the the lack of self awareness. Um, and I don't know. There's just something about it. It's got my, Martin Freeman plays uh, Tim, who is the analog of Jim. And Martin Freeman is amazing. So anyway, you got to check out the UK office if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, that's not an official recommendation either because the, the like you, like Titus said, the humor is somewhat crude at places. Um, but we need to get you guys some better material. <laughs> have you ever Tiger watched? King of the Office were not what I was expecting when I asked for your recommendations. <laughs> uh, like I said, I already said it wasn't edifying. It begins. <laughs> you asked what I've been watching, and that's I that, don't I don't watch. That. I don't really watch edit, like Christian films. Like I find them so. I don't either. I, I mean, I, I I'll read books if I want to be edified. Generally, I, I watch yeah. something if I want to be entertained. So, I'm not that I not that I've watched it recently, but you guys have watched Shawshank Redemption, right? Man, I've heard it recommended ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Whenever you gotta watch out. now, you would talk about an amazing edifying film. Um, it's prison life, so it's not family fair. It's pretty rough in places, um, but incredibly, my opinion, one of the best, one of the best films that's probably ever been produced. Absolutely incredible. It's voiced, uh, it's narrated by Morgan Freeman. So that's, um, we're starting to lose listeners fast, right? Well, we need to cut it off anyhow. Okay. All right. Bye listeners. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. We'll we'll uh, we'll refine our our uh, recommendation list a little by the time we talk next week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Matthew is very disappointed in us, Blanky. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, what I've been watching it's this new book. Um, I just came across. It's King Jesus Calls His Church. Have you guys heard of it? Claims. Uh, that's that's, what that's I meant better. To say earlier. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for your time. 
Okay. All, all right. right. See y'all next time. Yep. Bye. Let's turn off. <laughs>